Hi everyone and welcome to the Perma Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome back to the show uh, and uh, I am really, really pleased to be welcoming back uh, a good friend of mine, somebody who's been on the show, I've lost count how many times now, uh, four or five times, uh, um, Brandon Robertson, welcome back to the show. James, it's so good to be back, always good to be with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's fantastic. It's been too long since we, since we talked. I think it was the last time we talked was the last time you were on the show, which is about a year ago. So, um, yeah. it's good to have you back. And what, uh, but, what a oh, year it's been, you know. Yeah. Indeed, yeah. Um, it's a bit of a surreal year. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't quite. Uh, I don't think many of us can't quite comprehend it's last year. <laughs> yeah. Um, so much has happened. Uh, yeah, and in case you don't know who Brandon is, Brandon is uh, an author, he's an activist, he's also a pastor at uh, lead pastor at Mission Gathering Church in San Diego, where I got to visit last year, and which is a, an amazing community, church community, wonderful place, and uh, yeah, and um, and and for those in uh, in San Diego for Mission Gathering who are listening, hello. Some of you will have met me last year. So, um, yeah. Um, and he's got a couple of books out. He's been very productive with books. He had one out last year. True Inclusion came out last year. And now this year you've got two books coming out within about a month of each other, haven't you? So tell us a bit about those. Yeah, it's been it's been remarkably uh, strange this year. And it turns out for me, COVID has helped me to have a lot more space for writing. And so we re-released uh, my very first book called Nomad, A Spirituality for Traveling Light, which was only available in the UK for a number of years. And it's actually uh, how we first connected in person and uh, it got me on this amazing journey of getting to connect with so many people in that part of the world. And then about uh, probably March or April of this year, a publisher reached out and said, Hey, we want to release a devotional this fall. Can you write it in two months? And so uh, I cleared my schedule for two months and wrote this new devotional called Strength in Faith. And it's a 52 week book. It's designed uh, to help combat the toxic masculinity that's in so much of uh, evangelical men's literature. And so it looks very uh, evangelically on the cover and it, it it's marketed towards men, but it really is a book that is meant to offer devotions for everyone from a progressive inclusive perspective, uh, regardless of how you identi- identify gender wise. So both of those came out within about a month of each other. And uh, now I'm done releasing books for the year. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty amazing. And I remember your nomad book, yeah, when it came, out, I didn't. I don't think I twigged that it wasn't released in the US. I know there was, I knew there were some problems releasing it with the US with publishers because of your story and, um, and some, and I think your sexuality as well came was a factor, or, um, or your theology around LGBT inclusion. I can't remember exactly what it was, but yeah. um, it was actually um, that I was publicly supporting marriage equality. I had not yet come out oh, as yeah. gay, uh, but oh, I. Right just was supporting marriage equality and they said uh that was a no-go for my christian publisher wow wow yeah uh that's incredible really uh well i'm so glad it's been published there now because it is a really good book and it's uh powerful it's basically it's partly your story isn't it um yeah of, yeah so it's uh yeah tell us a bit about it tell us a bit about it totally 
it was it's a interesting book uh to look back on because I began writing it while I was still a conservative evangelical in an evangelical Bible college. I got my book contract uh, 2013, probably, and I graduated from Bible college at Moody Bible Institute in 2014. Um, and it was really my journey, uh, a series of essays reflecting on my journey from rigid conservative Christianity towards what I call a spirituality of wonder and awe. And what was remarkable about it is when it was released, even after uh, I lost my book contract and it was picked up by Darton, Longman, and Todd in the UK, um, over the past few years, I was afraid with the re-release that my theology and my perspective would have changed so much that I, I wouldn't be able to relate to the book anymore. Um, and I was so pleasantly surprised to look back at the book about a year ago when I knew it was going to be released in the United States and so many of the themes, even though I would use different language today, even though my faith and worldview has evolved pretty significantly, um, many of the core themes in Nomad remain the core themes for my own spiritual life today. And so it really, uh, it's a book about how we can walk through the deconstruction process, a book about um, the struggles that we have in the midst of that, but also the life that's found on the other side of giving up certainty and giving up our need to feel affirmed by our conservative religious environments that so many of us come from and kind of wander into this wide-eyed, opened, humbled place where nothing is certain, but everything is beautiful. And that's kind of how I try to live my spirituality today. So that's the, that's the big message of Nomad. And, uh, and yeah, I'm just excited that it's finally able to be accessed by uh, folks in the U.S. Because even though, obviously, the journey in the U.K. has been so transformative for me, so much of the book uh, is distinct in some senses to a U.S. evangelical context. And so um, I'm just excited to see and have been excited to see how people in the U.S. respond to some of the stories uh, about the experiences that I've had in, in our version of evangelicalism. Yeah, and that feels even more relevant now in a way, given what's going on in the world and, you know, obviously um, the current um, president, uh, as we're recording, hopefully uh, won't be the president much longer. Yes. Uh, and, you know, the evangelical support that he has. Uh, yeah. It, like that whole world has been kind of laid bare, as it were. Totally. I remember having a conversation with Father Richard Rohr maybe four and a half years ago now, and he said that uh, the evangelical support for Donald Trump will be an indictment against their validity as a religious movement for years to come. And that mm. feels so true um, because it's been just remarkable. Even as somebody who came out of evangelicalism, it's remarkable to me how quickly uh evangelical leaders were willing to give up their values, give up what they preach and what they have really rallied around for the past 60 years in this country to support Donald Trump, who is um, a racist, a homophobe, somebody who abuses women, um, all these things that go against fundamental conservative evangelical values. They quickly surrendered them in order to keep their own privilege and power. And and still, I mean, even after four years of this madness, um, to watch even more evangelical leaders jump on board, uh, leaders that condemned Trump four years ago are now supporting him today. And I, I just can't 
can't wrap my mind around how one can give up your heartfelt values so quickly in order to support somebody who represents quite literally everything that Jesus was opposed to. It's it's mind blowing to me. Yeah, uh, yeah, the same with me. I I'm staggered by it, and I'm not even in America. You know, I didn't um, I didn't have the same kind of experience of evangelicalism that you will have had and Americans will have. But nevertheless, to see, and I was just seeing it in politicians as well, you know, Republican politicians who, mm. like, I mean, I remember before he was the nominee, there were all these politicians, Republican politicians condemning him and saying how ridiculous he was and he wasn't electable, he wasn't wasn't responsible. And then as soon as he got the nomination, it was all like, that completely disappeared. Uh, and especially after he won, uh, and now that you know, it's it's like it's shameful. It's I mean, I don't like shaming people. I don't like using the word shame really, but it's really just like abhorrent, really. That you know, that, and shocking that people would just change their mind so much because of. I mean, it's like power. It's about. It's almost like addiction to power. Yeah. In a way, it's not about values. It's just about power. It reveals the fundamental brokenness of the American system in some ways that. In my perspective, our our political system over here has become nothing more than sports. It really is a sport for people. And uh, there are two teams and you support your team no matter what. And um, and that's an indictment on both the left and the right, really, because uh, this partisanship where we will die for our team, even if they represent values that we actually personally don't represent. And I think the downfall of the American political system is imminent unless we can figure out how to get out of this binary of Democrats and Republicans. We need, like you all have, um, multiple parties. Uh, there needs to be multiple perspectives uh, that are being uplifted. Yeah. And right. I feel like that's our only hope. So, Yeah, I think that's, yeah, it feels like the system is crumbling, really. Whatever, yeah. whatever happens in November, that in the long run, the system won't be sustainable. You totally. know. In America, and that's a good thing, <laughs> to be honest, yeah. Yeah, because it needs to be torn down, and you know it needs to. Uh, Rob, I think our, our, Rob Bell said once, uh, some things just sometimes you just have to tear the whole thing down. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, he said that. I saw, heard him say that once, and it's true. Um, and even in this country, I mean, we have. You're right. We do have more than two two parties, uh, um, but they are quite tribal. Uh, and they, you know, like I mean, it's just been the same here in many ways. Like our our prime minister just wanted to, decided to break international law to um, overrule a, a treaty that he negotiated to leave the European Union, um, um, and you know, <laughs> and many of his MPs supported him. Uh, and uh, I mean, we do have a legitimate third party here, but they haven't been they haven't been close to. You know, they've never been close to getting power. They were in a coalition with the current ruling party when they had a more moderate leader. Uh, you know, I think David Cameron, who was much more moderate than than, uh, than Boris Johnson, uh, and that made unfortunately they took the cop, they took the the fall for every, all the mistakes of that government, and they haven't really done anything since, and they're just getting themselves together again. Uh, hopefully, they will get themselves together again, and hopefully, they can form some kind of rainbow coalition with the Labour Party here because 
that is what we will need to get these guys out of office. And I think it will happen. I just, uh, this is going to take four years, but I do believe it can happen here. I do, uh, because a lot of the people that voted voted for Boris Johnson uh, were traditional Labour voters who just wanted Brexit done and believed him. Uh, and literally there were communities that had never voted for the Conservatives ever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and voted for the Conservatives to get that on that basis alone. And most of them will be now going back to Labour because the economy is crashing and they're the ones that are going to suffer. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't, don't, and that's basically the, how he got his majority. So I don't see the Conservatives winning the next election, which is really good, but <laughs> yeah, it's four years away. That's the only problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think this is a beautiful moment. I, I think uh, I would even go as far to say I think God is up to something in all of this because there has been this Western uh, domination over the world for far, far, far too long. And we're not just talking about a couple hundred years. We're talking a long time that the kind of UK and the United States have maintained so much power over the world. And it feels like this is an opportunity for other places in the world, the global South, um, uh, uh, the Asian continent, continents, it's not a continent, but, uh, but Asia to be able to rise up and kind of have a little bit more perspective and power than the white European Westerners. Um, so I'll probably get in trouble for saying that from a lot of my own uh, Democrats over here, but it's there's a there's something good happening when um, the Western power kind of wanes a little bit and gives room and ability for other nations to rise up and have their go at it. So I don't know. I'm I'm hopeful. I feel like this is not just political transformation happening. I think it's happening religiously. Uh, the center of power in religion is really being relocated towards the global south. Um, I, I think that began back when Pope Francis was uh, named Pope and was the first South American Pope. And I think since then, we've just continued to see um, the West lose influence in religion, lose influence in politics. And I actually think that's going to be a good thing for us in the end. Yeah, I feel that too. I felt that I felt that for a quite a while that there's this underneath everything there's this movement of the spirit, if you want to call it that. That, that uh, there's quietly been this shift happening for a long time and it's not been not been very overt for a long time. And then it feels like the election of, of Trump and even Brexit was kind of a reaction to this a kind of last throw of the dice mm -hmm. against this movement uh, and that's really what it did is bring it to a head in a way uh and it does feel because things and i know i've said this, said this on, my, on my show before in my personal journey things usually get worse before they get better and then you have a rock bottom moment and from that moment you start to grow and something new can be birthed yeah. um, and i feel like there's an opportunity for that in the next decade um, in both of our countries and in the world. Uh, and that's what's keeping me going just about right now, you know, um, because it can get very difficult and it can be quite overwhelming sometimes, you know, how bad it gets. So that's, that's all. That's what I hold on to. 
Totally. And in these moments, it's easy to get uh, kind of, I already see lots of Christians again, both on the left and the right, uh, kind of jumping to end times, apocalyptic language, like we're at the end. And I think the good news is humans are incredibly resilient. We've gone through terrible things uh, before. Um, If indeed the UK and the United States lose a bit of power, um, that's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean our countries are going out of existence. I really do think it means, I, I'll say it this way, I am jealous, frankly, of so many of those European countries that are small and seemingly insignificant in international politics because they don't have to worry about all of the things that our countries are always engaged in. Uh, America with its industri- uh, military industrial complex, kind of uh, Britain with its empire around the world. Uh, there's just so much pressure on our countries and we're involved in so much. And I honestly, I would love uh, for us to lose a little bit of that power uh, so that we could just focus on being good people and living our lives and not trying to dominate the world and exploit other people. And anyways, I, I just think uh, I'm with you. I think the future is better. We just have to endure this, uh, what's going to get darker before it gets lighter. That's right, yeah. And that's easier said than done, obviously. Um, And I love what you said about Europe. I mean, I I went to the Netherlands a year ago. Um, I had a friend that lives there. He's now moved back to America, actually. Um, uh, But the culture there is so different. It's it's so relaxed. It's quite a slow pace of life. It's not intense. Um, Everyone's friendly. There's no kind of collective ego, really. Mm. <laughs> uh, and people obey the rules. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and their education system is fantastic. Uh, they've legalized a lot of things that should be legal. Uh, and, yeah, the education system on issues around sexuality and, and sex and all of those kind of things is really healthy. And they don't want to be a big country. They don't want to... Uh, and they're all quite content and happy. And it's like, and I was like, I'd love to live there. That would be, yeah. you know, I don't want to be part of one of these big, <laughs> big superpower countries. Yeah, you know? yeah, I, I don't like. It's um, we were indoctrinated when we were growing up in you know in school to kind of believe these myths about how great it was to be a superpower, or, you know, one of the biggest nations on earth, or whatever. You know, one of the richest nations on earth. And actually. Maybe it wasn't like such a good thing after all. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting time. I mean, how is how has your faith been shaped by this time? What has been going on with you in terms of your spiritual journey through this season? Yeah, it's been it's been a remarkably uh, diverse faith journey over the past eight months. Um, when COVID-19 began, I really found myself surprisingly in um, kind of an existential dread. Um, and I, as the world started to slow down and stop for me over here, um, yeah, I really struggled with doubt. I really struggled with the big questions and meaninglessness. And I was reading a lot of existential writers and um, really spending some time trying to f- 
feel what it would feel like if I gave up religion and if I gave up belief in God and I accepted that the world was meaningless. And uh, that was actually a really helpful exercise for me because I think oftentimes we in religious circles and those of us who have kind of religious backgrounds, we use our faith rightfully so to kind of uh, in moments of crisis, in moments of pain, numb some of that um, by repeating to ourselves um, some of those tried and true old beliefs like God's working all things together for good, things are going to be okay on the other side of this. I think that's helpful and I understand why we need that. And I think in moments like these, we also have a responsibility to kind of grapple with the brokenness of the world and the craziness and absurdity of life. Um, and and so for me, I spent a, a couple months just really in that state, wrestling with that. Um, and yeah, it felt that was good for me. And then now I think my faith has kind of evolved to a point where I am pretty hopeful. And I, I do think that, um, especially here in the United States in this season, my faith feels more active than it is uh, spiritual. And so I, I've spent a lot of time thinking, writing, reading about how we can actually be trying to implement the way Jesus lived um, in an oppressive empire, how we live that out in our culture and context right now. Because Again, not to sound like a doomsday prophet, but regardless of what happens in our election in November, uh, we have a president who's saying he won't leave office if uh, he's voted out. And our country is already on the brink of, I don't think it's an overstatement to say, a civil war. Um, we are in the street. And so I feel like our faith as Christians now, my faith as a Christian now, is really centering on if the worst happens, what does my faith require of me? How do I use my own power and my own privilege for the good of others? How do we ensure that regardless of what happens, uh, those that are most vulnerable are protected and taken care of? And I really feel like that's how my faith goes throughout the year in general. I go into these kind of deep contemplative periods, and uh, then I go into these very active periods. And uh, right now, I'm just very much geared up trying to figure out how we help Jesus's vision of the kingdom of God to become a reality when the kingdom of America is crumbling around us. Yeah, that's a very good perspective. I love that. Um, that's really good. I love that. Yeah, and I, I, I experience the same in many ways. I have periods where I'm really down, really overwhelmed. Um, being highly sensitive, of course, I uh, you take it all on, you internalize it, you feel it all, uh, especially in those really bad moments um, when people die or uh, when, you know, when people are murdered or when there's injustice, you you feel it and you take it on. And so I need to take time for myself when that happens because it can get overwhelming. Uh, uh, but I also have moments of hope and I have moments of um, reflection that, you know, that, um, you know, yeah, like you say, how can, how can, what can I do right now? How can I be someone who uses his privilege and his, 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 uh, the spaces that he's occupying 
uh, and his, his gifts to to serve justice and to serve good and to serve people around me. You know, that's what I'm trying to do. You know, I'm trying to. I mean, one of the reasons I'm writing my book is to really help people who are going through a lot of grief, uh, because I believe grief can be an engine room of transformation if we allow it to be. Uh, and so much of what we've experienced has been because we haven't dealt with a lot of grief and trauma that we are we've been carrying for years because we've been we've been taught not to not to feel it not to feel pain not to not to allow ourselves to lament and not allow ourselves to um engage with our with our pain and our grief uh, and so that all builds up over time and uh hopefully my, that's one of my hopes is that we that people will as they come through this will start to do that and and having experience of grief and gone through grief and trauma and come out the other side in a healthy way, well, I've got something that I can I can share with people that can that maybe can help them. So yeah, and I feel that completely. Yeah, I feel that so so important. Like I, I know you've talked a lot about this and written a lot about this, but how easy it is for us just to demonize our sense of existential dread or depression or however we want to frame that and uh, try to get through it as quickly as possible. And uh, I think there is a distinction here, obviously, between those who, like me, uh, have chronic depression and are on medication for it. But then there's another kind of depression that is, I think, just part of the human experience. And our job isn't to try to get through it as quickly as possible, but to try to find safe and healthy ways to sit with it and allow it to uncover within us what it is that we are feeling so deep in our souls. Um, and like I was saying back at the beginning of quarantine, I would spend long days out in my backyard, sitting in my hammock, thinking about what if my life has no meaning? And that's a really scary question. I understand like some people don't even want to go there, but knowing I had support networks around me, knowing that, um, I was in a generally good mental place. It was just so good to be able to enter in and to think and to really face the questions that I think a lot of us are afraid to face that we cover up and we hide um, so that we don't have to go there. Um, I was actually just listening to uh, Rob Bell, uh, his son, interview him about his new book, Everything is Spiritual. I saw that, yeah. His son brought up, uh, there are questions in this book, Dad, that I just don't even want to think about. I can't think about and I I felt that at such a deep level because there are like we all know that there are some really big existential questions that we don't really have the answers to and that if we start thinking about might cause us to go a little crazy for a bit. But um, but there's for me there's something so powerful about being able to sit with that. And despite how terrible COVID has been, I was a privileged person to be able to have a couple months where I didn't have a ton of responsibilities so that I could kind of give myself the space to to go there and I, I feel like i i'm definitely more spiritually healthy and mentally healthy on the other side having allowed myself to to ruminate over those things yeah you're right um yeah that's right and actually the practices that i learned about dealing with grief and trauma and naming it have helped me because um i've gone to those places and i've really felt them uh, and I've been given myself permission to do that, but also found my way out of them as well, so that they've never 
taken control of me. But I've been able to sit in, sit inside of them and observe them and feel them uh, and acknowledge them and work on them with, you know, with, with, with a therapist and um, with a coach and other people and really process them in a healthy way. And that's, that's that to me was just, that was encouraging for me because it's a sign of of growth and it, it definitely is liberating when you're on the other side when you because on when you've never done it before it can be quite scary to to go to those places uh, but but when you go through and you come out the other side there's a freedom uh, that you couldn't even imagine uh, um that is a that's a great place to be and that's again that's my hope for the world really that we start to do that mm, totally that's so good yeah um so tell us about this i mean this devotional um um it sounds like a really interesting concept like i know you said it's it's not it's not just for men it's for kind of all genders and orientations and stuff and that's fantastic you know because uh, I, I mean, as a man, like as a, as a straight white man, when I, when I saw that, I was actually quite encouraged. It was like, oh, law, something, mm. something from something, something to help men, mm. which is, which isn't coming from an evangelical patriarchal standpoint because it, we because we so need that. Um, yeah, yeah. When I was uh, when the publisher reached out and asked me if I would write this book, I was really hesitant um, initially. And when I first announced the book on social media, I got initially a lot of pushback because one, I mean, if you look at the book, it, it looks pretty evangelical. <laughs> Just the cover, the design, how it looks is quite evangelical. Um, and and most people in a world where we are coming to terms with gender as a construct and uh, the binary nature of gender not being as true as we once thought it was, um, a lot of people ask the question, why would you need to write a book specifically for men? What do men need to know that women don't need to know? Um, and I think that was a fair question, and I really grappled with it. But when I thought about this project, I also thought about growing up as a young evangelical boy and being handed so many books and so many sermons and so many other resources that enforced ideas about what it meant to be a man that ended up really hurting me and stifling my growth and my ability to be authentic. Um, and I, I don't even think that's just like a gay man's experience. I think that's a men's experience in evangelicalism. If you don't uh, confine to a certain definition of what a man should look like and act like, if you're not rugged, if you're not into sports, if you're not athletic, if you're not dominant, um, you are not a biblical man. And, and that sort of uh, teaching was just so harmful to me and so many others that I began to realize I needed to write this book because again, it's not, there's nothing in the book that's super specific to men, but my whole thought while I was writing every uh, chapter was thinking about a young evangelical being handed a devotion at Christmas time and uh, opening it up. And I was trying to think of what I would need to hear to begin to slowly and subtly deconstruct those false notions of masculinity and those false notions of what it meant to be a Christian. Um, and so that's what this book is. It's 52 weeks, a devotion for every week in the year. And I just basically take 
a biblical concept and a biblical verse, and I write about two pages of reflection on that. And then there's a uh, exercise and a space to reflect at the end of each day. Um, and it, it covers all sorts of concepts uh, and struggles that we go through in life. And and yeah, I'm just really I'm excited. It's out there. It's honestly, it's been the best selling book. It's only been out since Tuesday, and it's already sold more than any of my other books, which is crazy. Um, and and I'm just yeah, I'm super excited to be able to get this out into the world and to have something that is not just a book, but a resource to help people think and process and kind of go deeper spiritually. Yeah, that's fantastic. It really is. Um, and these things like that are really needed right now. People need people need time to reflect. They need those kind of resources uh, that this book really is. Uh, and yeah, I think yeah, like so many are struggling with identity. So many are struggling with centering themselves and finding the divine in the midst of of this and i'm sure that this book will help and i'm really glad it's 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 selling so well that's really really fantastic i'm really pleased so uh, yeah, thank you and, and it's deserved because um, you've written so many great books and um it's good to see them see them doing well yeah it's definitely an addiction so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know that feeling yeah <laughs> um i'm sure once i get into the routine of writing books more regularly i will feel the same but uh, yeah uh, so um what are you feeling about where you're going next what's what's the what's the next season for you how are you moving into the next season? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, life is so strange right now, and I, I, I feel like that's everyone's answer. But um, this next season, for me, on a very personal level, it's going to be very interesting. Um, the church I pastor, we're in the midst of essentially becoming a new church. We're selling our building. We're moving. Um, we're going to have uh, quite a bit of staff turnover just because of uh, people moving into new seasons of their own life. So there's a lot of movement there, and we're really having this opportunity to think. I mean, it looks like we're probably not going to meet in person again until at least Easter, probably. And so having a year off doing church, we're really trying to lean into this moment and say, if we could do this differently, if we could do so, this more effectively, if we could offer a progressive Christian community that didn't just do church because that's what we thought we needed to do, but could actually do whatever we thought was most helpful, what would we do? And so we're we're dreaming about that. And then um, I'm deeply involved um, in currently the Biden-Harris campaign, um, doing faith work. I'm a faith surrogate for them. And so I'm really one, leaning into that until November, but also opportunities that open up with that. Um, my real passion uh, these days is that intersection of faith and political life in America and how those two things can be utilized um, to create progressive change in our country. And so um, depending on what happens on in this election, I have no clue what 2021 looks like, but I, I get the sense that it's going to involve um, a lot more faith-based political engagement uh, for me and for so many other churches and faith communities in this country. And then the last thing is, 
I've become a TikToker. Um, and uh, I've been. You start notice, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's remarkable, remarkable. Um, I've been on TikTok for three weeks now, and I literally could not imagine um, the kind of impact that I could have in that world. Um, since I joined three weeks ago, and I'm not saying this in an ego way, it's uh, we, I now have 35,000 followers in three weeks. Um, my inbox is filled, literally filled every day with young people from around the world saying, hey, I'm gay, I'm Christian, I'm trying to figure this out. Um, and, and our church live stream, it's increased uh, last week by uh, 30% because people from TikTok were watching. And so I'm really just thrilled uh-huh. with the opportunity that we're being given. Um, we're now thinking about as a church, how do we utilize this crazy platform uh, to reach this new generation with a progressive Christian message and combat the toxic Christianity that is also all all over TikTok. And so I'm spending an ungodly amount of time (laughs) on TikTok these days, but also it's so rewarding. And to be able to see the impact on real people's lives um, is something I've never seen in any other social media platform. So those three things are really what's swirling around for me. And I feel like uh, we're in this threshold moment, both me personally, but I think our world, we're about to cross into a new new kind of existence. And I'm just trying to figure out how we do that well uh, as a church, as an individual, and otherwise. That is really fantastic. I'm really, really excited for you. That's um, And I've seen some of your TikToks. They're really great. I love it. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but yeah, I mean, TikTok's something I've... I've kind of toyed with i've got a tiktok account i've barely used it i i um but i do that's something i've been thinking about a lot is how do i engage that medium with my work feeling like well we really need to be talking about grief we need to be talking about how we do grieve, how we grieve well how we and it's not just my generation that needs to be talking about it everyone needs to be talking about it. and you know i was talking to somebody the other day about you know i need to be doing more instagram lives i need to be doing you know, and not not to build a platform of any. That's not my. That's never been my goal. But just because people need those kind of messages uh, and that kind of encouragement. You know that. You know we're going through we're going through this grief, and we don't have to do it alone. Uh, and what you're what you're doing with you know um, for LGBTQ Christians. I mean already, but even before that, the TikTok stuff uh, with the books that you've written and the advocacy where you've done is, is amazing and well, thank you um, yeah I, I mean I would, and i would encourage you to like the tiktok platform i can't talk it up enough it's so strange that i mean literally all i'm doing is getting on for 60 seconds that's as long as you can do it and saying theology um lgbt theology but also just broader progressive theology about hell and things like that and the fact that thousands of people are engaging with it um one it reveals that there's a hunger like you're saying there's a hunger for uh constructive progressive christian voices and the thing that i'm hearing most on tiktok from people who start following me is i didn't know this existed and i i think when we those of us who live in this progressive christian bubble um it's easy to think oh everyone knows that we're out there but clearly um people don't know that we're out there and clearly when they do find out that we're out there uh people want to know more and i think um you sharing your journey with mental health and grief and faith i think would be so helpful there and i would just 
encourage also listeners uh, to this podcast to consider getting on, being authentic, sharing your journey. It's not just uh, an app with teenagers doing weird dances on it. It's really a cool opportunity to share your story, share your perspective, and people are hungry for it. So, Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic, Brandon. Honestly, it's, um, it's so great to see all the work that you're doing and your voice is getting out there in the world because it deserves to. And we need more people like you in the world doing the work you're doing. And I'm so excited about Mission Gathering too. I can't wait to um, hopefully come back next next year maybe and, and see what's happening because uh, yeah. it sounds we- like it's really coming alive, which is really brilliant. Yeah, we'd love to have you. We'll have a new building and we'll hopefully, uh, like this pandemic opened up this opportunity for us to have an international church now. So we literally every Sunday are having people join us in via Zoom from South Africa and Asia. And uh, so to bring you back and uh, get to, it would be so great to get to share that church platform with you and get your voice out there because I believe it's so important as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm always grateful for your supporting me and belief in me it's uh it's always quite humbling for me to hear that so thank you but um so um everyone go and get brandon's books at amazon you can go and get them now uh and uh, you can find brandon's work at brandonrobertson.com and obviously you're on tiktok what's your tiktok handle <laughs> it's rev brandon robertson rev brandon robertson so come on over yeah, and he's on Twitter and Instagram as well. So, um, yeah, do check Brandon's work out if you haven't already. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and thank you, Brandon, for, for coming on. Thanks for having me, James. It's always a pleasure. Thank you.